Welcome to the Weekend Must Watch on Intercut, where we wade our way through the week of theaters, streaming, and on-demand releases. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's got those Polar Express eyes, it's Arturo Zurita. I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but with these Polar Express eyes, we've been seeing a lot of movies, a lot of upcoming ones, a lot of early screenings that hopefully we get to put on your radar that are going to be on the horizon. But we had some family-friendly movies, some not-so-family-friendly movies, and some movies that make you question your family this week. So a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was a, a little bit more to devour, to, to actually... I like the week. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a pretty it's solid nice week. We've been been dealing with a little bit of light stuff, given uh, everybody cleared the way for Doctor Strange. But we're getting mm-hmm. back into to content, getting back into the content wars this week with lots to watch and stream and rent, whatever have you. Why don't we jump right into the what we're watching uh, with the movie that I think was the talk of at least film Twitter over the weekend. I don't know if it was everybody's cup of tea, uh, given that it ended up with a D plus cinema score, the the rare D plus on cinema score. Uh, I wanted an F. (laughs) Yeah, right. Go. I wanted it to go the full mother route and get the F. Mm-hmm. A whole mother F right there. Nothing. A D plus? <laughs> no, not even a D minus. Not even a D. A D plus. So there's something yeah. that stuck with people. So yeah, uh, not at least everybody there is was that. disappointed. Man, the latest release from A24, as well as writer-director Alex Garland, who's previously One made Ex Machina, Devs, Annihilation, wrote 28 Days Later really important in uh, modern horror. This one is an unsettling atmospheric horror movie that follows a woman on her trip, a woman on her trip to England, the English countryside following her ex-husband's death. Art, we're going to do an after credits after this stream and talk a little bit more with our full thoughts and full spoilers on this movie, but let's just do a quick non-spoiler reaction. What did you make of Men? Right off the bat, I'm a huge Alex Garland fan. I think he's one of the best directors that we have working today. He's in my top 10 right now at this moment. I think he's a fantastic writer, and I know that this is one of the movies that, or one of the ideas that he's had for a little bit, Uh, but out of the ones that he's directed, I think Devs is still my number one. Uh, I'm like really tied between Ex Machina. I think Annihilation beats Ex Machina just a little bit for me, Uh, but at the tail end would be this movie. This is not one that is for the faint of heart. It's not one for someone who likes a very straightforward story. It it tricks you into thinking it's a very straightforward story, and and it's like a really nice thriller right at the beginning, and then it really dives into what I would call just uh, kind of like a psychological way of looking at someone's uh, grief after a very traumatic event. Um... I believe people should give this one the benefit of the doubt, even if it's not in theaters. I think now that you've seen it, it's like you can see what I mean of like, you. it gets a recommendation, maybe mm. from you, I don't know yet. But it's still one where it's like, I don't know if you need to go out to the theaters to see it or if you should watch from the comfort of your own home so that you could squirm in privacy. Right. I So if you want to compare it to the other films we've had from Alex Garland, I think the thing that I was a little bit surprised by in watching Men is that it's maybe a bit simpler than 
I had hoped for and simpler than a lot of the other things he's covered. You know, he he's taken on some really heady ideas, some really sophisticated concepts in tackling artificial intelligence and genetic uh, modification and all these really strange ideas. This is much simpler, uh, much more stripped down. And I think where it succeeds is that Garland is still a really strong stylist. I think Mm -hmm. he's got a, a very clean aesthetic to a lot of his movies that also really works as a nice juxtaposition for a lot of the ugliness that we get to see later on in the movie. So there's just some formalistic elements that I thought were really, really strong here. As far as its plot and the the central like metaphor holding it all together, I I don't know if there's a whole lot of there there. I did enjoy it, uh, but it's not necessarily like the the deepest Alex Garland movie, one that I feel like you got to run to the theaters to catch. One shout out Rob Hardy. He's been that go-to cinematographer for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I love me Rob Hardy, not just from his independent stuff, but even the big budget stuff. Uh, but yeah, this is that one where I felt a lot of people have been coming out saying, oh, you know, everything off the trailer. What do you think of this part? I don't know. I'm still wrapping my head around that one. It's like the <laughs> one where it's like, I don't know anything that happened, but everything that he said was also way overstated. But then I'm not exactly sure what certain things mean. So I'm, I'm going to go watch it again, either mm-hmm. today or tomorrow, um, because I did come out of it kind of, you know, because he's. I really like him as a director, giving him yeah. the benefit of the doubt. I really like the performances in this movie. I think that alone is worth catching because Jesse Buckley is one of the best, I believe, working right now. Uh, Kinnear, right, does an insane job playing a multitude yeah. of faces, I will say, because uh, yeah. it is a very condensed cast. I don't think there's more than five people in the movie, five actors in the movie. Um but it is one where I think that there's a lot of symbolism here and there where it may not be the most profound thing. Um, but I still think that uh, for what he's going for, there's a nice, um, we'll get to it more in the spoilers, uh, a theme dealing with cycles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very much cycles, especially <laughs> towards the end. Yeah. Uh, but it is one where if, you, if, you're, if you're curious in any way, shape, or form, if any of his previous stuff has piqued your interest, go into this one blind. Don't mm-hmm. get it spoiled by anybody else. It is good for you to experience the ending. Even if you come out pissed off, at least you got to experience that crazy ending yeah. uh, without any spoilers. Yeah, I've seen some people reacting negatively to the film, and and they are particularly reacting negatively to the second half of the film, and that that to me Everybody. is like a is terrible. Like that that's the part of the film where the real meat is, like the Cronenbergian a uh, body horror stuff is really is yep. where I really think uh, men is excelling. I, I prefer the latter half to the first half, but yeah, I still think. It's still an interesting film from a director who I've consistently found to be very thought-provoking and interesting. So mm-hmm. um, I, I've, I've enjoyed also reading a lot of reactions to men. So I'm excited to talk about that with you in in more spoilers. Uh, but that was really the main thing that we saw in theaters this weekend. There's a lot more to offer uh, on the streaming front, uh, particularly let's start with Disney Plus and fully get into Chippendale Rescue Rangers. We talked about it briefly on last week's show, looking ahead, but uh, now that it's out and everybody has seen the glory that is Tim Robinson's Ugly Sonic, uh, talk to me a bit more about what you thought about the latest movie directed by Akiva Schaefer. Uh, I told you that it was a very funny movie. Mm Mm-hmm. That is still a product for a big corporation. Do you see any different now that you've seen it? 
You know, I, I got to say, I really was not bothered by a lot of the use of intellectual property. I thought a lot of it was subversive and weird enough and, and like, kind of dark enough that it 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 kind of justified being there to me. Like, I, I was a little bit uh, surprised by some of the liberties they were given with certain characters. With other it, it, characters that I didn't even think they had the rights to. Right, that's what exactly. I was surprised. That, yeah, yeah it, it's it's something that extends way beyond the confines of just Disney, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, in terms of the story, I think it's a cute story. I've always liked the uh, Lonely Island trio coming together, doing their stuff. All of them are in here. Sandberg does the voice. You got the directing. You got the writing. Uh, even other cameos that appear in there. Uh, I I think it's a very enjoyable movie. I think this is a movie that if you're hanging out with a family, it's perfect to put on. You're going to laugh uh, along with it. To me, towards the second half is where it starts becoming very... Um, I guess the best way to put it is if you go online, you will see John Mulaney and... What's his name from 911? Brooklyn? Uh, Andy Samberg. Andy? Uh, yeah. Doing all the commercials for it. And to me, the second half of the movie really is no different than them doing the commercials that they're doing right now of like... One of the chipmunks was uh, animated to be different. Let's look back at the top five animated Disney people, like right, Pete's right. Dragon. And it's like no different to me uh, when you get to a lot of the second half stuff that they're doing. I don't know if you saw the little controversy, Zach, uh, dealing with the main villain in this movie, which I think appears in the trailer, uh, being a very deep cut to the actual kid actor I, I who didn't played see that, Peter actually. Pan. So supposedly the story obviously goes on this idea that Peter Pan is like uh, gone evil. And the idea is that they're connecting that to when uh, the actual actor who played Peter Pan got blacklisted. Oh, in oh, interesting. So it's, they're saying that it's like a commentary on that or because that just feels like an unintentional coincidence for, for me. Uh, I mean, when you look at the movie, I could see why people have a problem with that and the way that it connects. But yeah. Um, I don't know how much the uh, writers themselves care about that stuff. Yeah. But to me, I think that a lot of it, is, they're just doing it for the jokes. And I think uh, a lot of the jokes in there are able to land. But to me, it still doesn't change the fact that we're in that era of the Ghostbusters remake still being what you wanted repackaged. Matrix, what if it's repackaged? Spider-Man, what if it's repackaged? This was the cutest version of them all. It's still repackaging, in my opinion. But, hey, it's, as a Disney Plus original movie, I think it's one of the best that they've had. Lord knows it's better than Sneakerella, so. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I don't look at it as just repackaging. I look at it as, you know, revitalizing, you know, bringing something fresh to it. You like, I, that, I, you like that poster, huh? It's not a comeback or it's not a reboot. It's a comeback. No, I mean, like, look, this is just an interesting world to me. I, I think this is picking up spiritually where films like Who, Ra Who Framed Roger Rabbit off. And really, to me, the only drop off is in the animation just kind of being a little bit ugly and not really convincing, especially when it comes to some of that 2D stuff. But like, I, I don't know. I, I thought like there were a lot of good jokes, a lot of good vocal performances. I, I think just even the, the way they're able to reframe the TV series of Rescue Rangers within the context context of this story i just think it's really clever i i enjoyed it man i, I it's, it's a cute. movie that i i thought was fun enough that i plan on re-watching it you know wow okay yeah 
Uh, quick, quick mention of our super chat from Polnashek Five, who talked about men. Uh, said, "I feel people coming out of men only taking away that it's about toxic men, toxic masculinity are missing the forest for the trees. Offer a lot and is stuck with me since seeing it. Slasher with a coat of sci-fi. Yeah, definitely a really interesting one. Uh, excited as we were saying, we're gonna get into more on men in our after credits after this." Uh, that's enough on Chippendale. Also, wanted to mention briefly RRR because it's on Netflix and uh, I think has been you know, brought up again as people are really excited about this movie. But I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed that Netflix only has the version that's dubbed in Hindi. They don't have the original theatrical version with the, uh, I think it's Telugu uh, dubbing I saw it. over it. Yeah. Uh, which you know, it's an Boo. interesting. It's an interesting Boo, Zach. way that the different uh, rights and distributions for these movies get carved up. Uh, there's a apparently a service that I was unfamiliar with called Z5 that primarily uh, does Indian content, and they are the ones who have the uh, Telugu audio dub as well as several other regional audio dubs. But you know, Netflix, this company that prides itself on making their films available for every little re- every sub region and yeah. dubbed in every language, this is something that uh, I guess they're the the right deals have prevented them from offering in that comprehensive way uh, a bit of a shame though because like I, I, I pe- people were promised RRR on Netflix and it's not the not the real version no it is not the real version I, I agree with what you're saying you don't even need to spend the money on dual legal Rosetta Stone go watch your favorite like short film on Netflix they got every language for you you know what I'm saying so as long as you find something you could switch throughout all the ones and and learn something this isn't a dub or sorry, what you got is the dub. Yeah. What we didn't get was the original. Like you're not asking for a different alternate version. You're just asking for the original audio track. RRR is a movie that's uh, filmed in Telugu. There is portions that are in Hindi, if I'm not mistaken, and then it's mm-hmm. in English, right? Mm-hmm. And the way the movie plays with that is beautiful. I'm not calling yeah. it like drive my car the way that it weaves in languages, but I, I thought it was a, a beautiful way to be able yeah. to bounce around. And the you more that are, you know those languages, you are yeah, missing you, part of the experience by not getting it like that. Well, first and foremost, yeah, because the thing's not synced. It's a dub. So, I don't know. Uh, that's a little disappointing for me. Uh, uh, hopefully, it doesn't take away from the action. Alina's actually watching it right now to uh, uh, cut up for a video. So, I'm going to hear her perspective cool. on that in a little bit. I'll probably be catching the tail end of that because that's three <laughs> hours long. We could do two podcasts and she'll still be catching that. Um, but, hey, it's out. People finally get to watch it. I know it's a three-hour movie, and that was very difficult to get people to go into theaters to probably go see, but it's Mm -hmm. available in the comfort of your own home. You'd be reading the subtitles anyway, I guess. So there is that aspect of it for you to uh, still be able to catch a majority of the experience. Did you catch it, though? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's it's just undeniable, right? It's it's so joyful in its exuberance and its over-the-topness and it's not just how over-the-top the action is but how consistently inventive and clever they are like I, I was just in watching it I'm just so su- I find myself being surprised by the choices they're taking in the way that they use the oh, environment so, so regularly like it just you know I, I think we got a comment from somebody who was maybe maybe frustrated that we were talking about RRR uh, it, given like the variety that Indian cinema has to offer and they brought up films that we've talked about like The Lunchbox or Court or uh, The Disciple which are, are really great 
films, but you know, this being sort of the the opposite end of the spectrum, the blockbuster end of the spectrum. This film of being a film that cost, I think, it was seventy five million dollars American uh, to produce. You know, this is, I think when you want to compare, if we're going to compare to American cinema, this is more in the vein of a Fast and Furious or an Avengers and stuff. And I think if you are doing that as a like-for-like comparison, there's just so much more to to respect and appreciate and enjoy in the crazy nature of a film like RRR than basically any of the action blockbuster cinema we get this side of, you know, the new Mission Impossible movie. No, I agree with you. That's why I, I know. I know there's that Billy Eichner movie that's coming up called Bros or the the love story about two bros. We already got it right here. It's called RRR. Do yourself a favor, <laughs> catch it on Netflix. I have a feeling uh, Billy Eichner's Bros is going to be a lot different, even though there are <laughs> very homoerotic uh, vibes in RRR. All right, I want to talk a little bit about George Carlin's American Dream, a new two-part documentary co-directed by Michael Bonfiglio as well as Judd Apatow, which is chronicling the life and career of the iconic stand-up comedian George Carlin. Art, Carlin is a person whose comedy is often still cited by people today, especially in response to political events. But what do you think of this documentary, and is it befitting of his legacy? Uh, did you get to catch it? Yes, I caught both parts. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. I think it's a it's a good uh, looking back at the history of the man, and also being able to see the history of comedy through the different things mm-hmm. that he did. Because that mm-hmm. first part really gets into the Carlin before he was Carlin, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I found that very fascinating because a lot of people think uh, when you look back at an icon, oh, they just made it. This was done. This was always the way that they were. This is the type of comedy that they were able to put out into the world. And the fact that he started way back in the day doing stuff that you would feel the Carlin people know would be making fun of. Uh, very, I don't want to call it corporate, but very like, you know, uh, day-to-day, uh, late-night show. So, yeah, and it was very fascinating. Counterculture, yeah, exactly. He was one hundred percent in the culture, yeah. Uh, and just seeing his rise there and his influences and the different people that he had, all of the different anecdotes that they give you, the talking heads, bro. I know that talking heads in documentaries is mm-hmm. usually like you know either the most standard thing you could get, and it could be boring. It depends who you get to come in, and it is a stacked amount of people. I'm not going to spoil everyone who comes in, but some of these people were coming in these massive comedians just letting it slip that they got a secret society of people (laughs) who gathered together so i could just only imagine how after the oscars whatever meeting they had (laughs) after that and how they got together to talk about it uh it's just crazy to see the ins and outs of the comedy world from probably the person who uh pioneered a a major part of it and and just fascinating and splitting it in two parts to see how he always Mm -hmm. reinvented himself how a lot of comedians would come in who were the younger crowd going to go make fun of him now that he's older doing the same bits and he would just surprise them time and time again Uh, i know there's that quote that always uh referenced that we've gotten to the point where the politicians come off as comedians and the comedians come off as the politicians the people who kind of tell you uh the state of the world and i've always felt that that's always applied to this man right here so even if you don't know much about him i think the the doc does a great job of not just interweaving his story but then also including a lot of his iconic bits um it's on hbo i think a lot of his specials are on hbo as well i'd say do yourself a favor go check it out george carlin's american dream yeah uh 
I'll spoil one of the celebrity talking heads because uh, I think he summed it up in a really interesting way. I thought the way that Colbert talked about how Carlin t- continually evolved and analogizing him to uh, the Beatles, saying that, you know, it, in the beginning he was putting out Love Me Do and he was like in the tuxedo and very buttoned up and then he put out his White Album and he was able to consistently evolve in each phase of his career, l- almost like a, like a major band going through different iterations. It, he was able to redefine what made him so good and I think that's primarily the reason he's been able to become so iconic is he was so many things to so many different people and uh, he was so daring too in allowing himself to evolve in a way that you know it 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 wasn't it, well, he wasn't beholden to who his previous self was. He was constantly seeking what the most interesting next step could mm-hmm. be, and he all and he kept finding it. He really developed into quite an amazing artist of the stand-up form. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think this is a great documentary, just in terms of how it's able to conte- contextualize not just his comedy to the different time periods he was in, but how his comedy also was influenced by his life and uh, how faults, yeah. you know his ups and downs, uh, how what impact they had on his career. I, I just think it's a really great piece that also has so much great material in it, uh, not just in not just like iconic bits that they show, like the seven words or the stuff uh, bit from Carnegie Hall, but also some of the behind the scenes stuff, the the notes that uh, they show scribbled, the voice recordings that they play uh, of. Uh, unfinished bits. I, I just think it's a pr- very great comprehensive look at this guy who deserves, you know, the four-hour treatment, not just the two-hour documentary. I'm a, I've become a big fan of these two-parters, dude. Uh, I know Prime's got the upcoming the uh, Kids in the Hall doc. That's a two-parter. A lot of HBO uh, docs have also done the two-parter treatment. I, I like the two-part thing because it's better than trying to make it a miniseries when you realize, like, all right, this doesn't need to be dragged out to, like, five hours. But mm-hmm. uh, two two-parters make sense to me. Yeah, um, I'm cool. I'm, I'm also really into this phase of Judd Apatow. Like, maybe the comedies aren't quite hitting the same way, but the documentaries are excellent. Like, just mm-hmm. full-on pivot to making documentaries of iconic comedians. Because between this and the Larry Sanders one, like, I, I just... He, he's got a real talent for it. He clearly has, like, a huge reverence for these guys that... Yeah. Uh, shows through through. how he treats the material. And uh, yeah, did you like the way that the documentary kind of placed itself in our current moment? Like even though Carlin's been dead for several years, uh, I think, you know, the documentary is trying to make a case that he's prophetic about a lot of things that we're feeling right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think, they allowed him to speak for himself. I don't. I did not feel like they were trying to connect a through line to it too much. Um, but I, I just feel that that's what his comedy's always been. I think that's why uh, people are always sharing clips of him for the last couple of years, literally since his death. Even before that, uh, there's <laughs> you could pull up one of his bits and it would apply to something that's probably happening. So I think that's what makes him everlasting. Uh, let's move on to a new Shutter release, The Sadness. It's a new Taiwanese film about a young couple trying to reunite in a city ravaged by a plague that turns people bloodthirsty. I didn't get to catch this one, but Art, it was a fa- it was at Fantasia Fest last year. Yep. What did you think of the sadness? 
also played at Chicago. It was one of the midnight screenings that they had going on, and people were saying that it was disgusting. It was vulgar. It was gross. And it is all of those things and more. It is a virus that has unleashed that isn't necessarily like a zombie virus as much as it is like the person is still very much there. Their eyes just become black. They can still speak, but they just lose all sense of humanity. They just come down to the most vulgar, uh, how, how would you put it, uh, I- impulses that a human mm-hmm. can have, um, both men and women. But in particular, because you have this couple that's trying to reunite, you follow the boyfriend trying to get to her while the girlfriend is on a train and all hell breaks loose. These are zombies that like literally will say <laughs> they'll 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 like uh they'll make fun of you they'll make sexual insults at you and then like just ravage after you it is also uh probably one of the most grotesque films in terms of the uh prosthetics that they use a lot of the action sequences they do not waste uh what is it they did not spare any expense when coming to the blood in this movie so if you're looking for something that's going to at least get a reaction out of you, Shudder finally has delivered on a movie that I think uh, you could watch with a group of people and then take a shot whenever anybody squirms because there will be a lot of that happening in this movie. Uh, it's not a perfect movie. It wasn't as profound as I thought it was going to be. I th- it's also one that comes with a message. I think the message, uh, definitely way more than men, is one that's <laughs> very apparent. But uh, it was a, v- a very interesting take on the zombie movie um, that I would recommend. Something about the the premise also sounds a little bit like The Purge to me. Is that like a weird comparison for this one? No. So imagine like it, instead of The Purge ringing, it, this is like, well, what if it was a virus? And the mm. idea that you can really look at it is that are they really being infected by a virus or is this a virus that's already out there and we just suppress it until you find a crazy act that happened that makes it to the news? You know, that's kind of like the metaphor that's in the movie. So it's an apt comparison. Cool. All right. Let's talk about a new Hulu release in The Valet, which is starring Eugenio Derbez, as well as Samara Weaving. The Valet (sighs) is about a world famous movie star who faces a PR disaster when paparazzi snap a photo of her with a married man. In order to avoid scandal, she pretends to date Antonio, a valet going through a divorce who appears in the same paparazzi photo. Art Derbez produced this film as well as starred in it, but is The Valet a good vehicle for him yeah I thought it was, you know it's a, if you're looking for this type of movie I think it's going to hit on all the cylinders that you needed to mm-hmm. Derbez mm-hmm. has made some terrible movies in my opinion this is not one that's up there with instructions not included which is one of his films that I very much like and I thought that made a really good crossover over here to the states but it's definitely not as bad as something like Latin Lover, which I despise. Uh, this is somewhere in the middle. This is a perfect streaming release for Hulu if you're interested in, uh, you know, a nice lighthearted movie. Yeah. I believe it's also a remake of a French film, if I'm not mistaken. So it's already an idea that's been out there. And Derbez, you know, Coda was also a remake. And look at the man made it all the way up to that Oscar stage. Uh, and I think this is a good movie for him in terms of uh, being a very nice uh, comedy uh, that is trying to have its thematic elements in there because it's not just that she's with the valet. She also needs to make sure that they don't find her uh, with this other dude who's a real estate agent. So it very much uses California as its setting and how it's being gentrified and how technically he would be the person who would be kicked out of his home if it weren't for uh, Greenfield's character who's trying to take over all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought it had a a lot of really good jokes. I also really like Carmen in this movie because this was her last role. 
before her passing, I want to say. Um, and the movie is dedicated in her honor. And I thought as the, <laughs> as the horny mother, she was fantastic at it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, not, not up there with some of his top movies, but I think it's uh, a perfect streaming movie to catch with the family if you're a fan of Eugenio and Samara's some character. She's a great actress. I, her character was way too over the top, but it's interesting <laughs> to see uh, all the roles that she takes. So shout out to her. Um, and yeah, R.I.P. Carmen. Yeah, I mean, I found this to be one of those movies that's a little more nice than it is funny, if that that yeah. makes sense. Um, you know immediately that these two are going to develop a bond and learn to like each other and start to help each other out. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like a movie that's going to have a whole lot of surprises in there. There are moments where I think it, it, it is pretty charming, but there's also a lot of stuff like the like the mom Carmen's uh, openness about her sex life or the way his friends are constantly puzzled that he got with a movie star where they all feel like jokes that have been done before. I think like you're saying, like the ways in which it maybe feels a little bit fresher is in some of the themes they're able to bring in and some of the ways in which they've, they've maybe modernized it. Um, I do find like, I'm not really one that genuinely is taken aback by an age gap, but the 30 year gap between Eugenio and Samara is a little bit jarring. She looks a lot more like she's his assistant or like his sugar baby or something than Mm -hmm. his girlfriend here. Uh, I just feel like it also would have been a little bit more believable if they had an actress who was maybe 10, 15 years older. Maybe I can see that, but then it wouldn't be Samara weaving. (laughs) That's true. I'm always happy to see Samara weaving. All right, uh, let's talk about a couple movies that I didn't get to catch, but I know you did. Uh, the found footage phenomena over on Shudder. It's a new documentary looking at a piece of horror history. This one's about how the genre has transformed and grown art. Uh, we've talked previously about the the history of folk horror documentary uh, that we loved over on Shudder. This is not quite as comprehensive but uh what did you think about this look at horror Uh, it's a decent little breakdown uh going into a genre that i personally really like uh i think that we've gotten into the era where it's no longer a genre as much as it is kind of what's out there a lot of the things that we see are you know videos that are technically everything is found footage if you're seeing it on tiktok if you're seeing it on youtube for the most part it's it's actual found footage uh, and what this movie does is that it, it does a really good job of going back to the early stages of what found footage was before it became the genre that we know it as. I would say mm-hmm. something like uh, Blair Witch is the obvious example of what really helped pioneer it. But I love how they get into War of the Worlds and how that kind of duped mm-hmm. people, if you don't know the story of that, back as a radio play. And uh, just the intricacies of what found footage does that's so effective because it makes you feel like you're a voyeur. Uh, they do a really good job at getting into a bunch of different examples Um I wish the production was a little bit better, but it almost feels like the interviews are found footage uh, with the way that they're caught in the echoes. But I think if you're a fan of found footage or just horror in general, it's a nice little little recap and look back at the uh, genre as a whole. And a streaming on show. That's cool. Cool. I'm curious to check that one out. You also saw Diamond Hands, The Legend of Wall Street Bets, which looks at the story of the Wall Street Bets subreddit and how a bunch of regular investors took on Wall Street using GameStop stock. This was part of this year's South by Southwest, uh, but now that it's on Peacock, should people give it a chance? Out of all of the ones that have come out so far, and it's never going to stop, so I'm not going to deem this one the winner of, you know, the number one Wall Street Bets movie. 
I think it's better than the HBO one. HBO had a two-parter there you go, uh, with one of the Culkins narrating it. I think this one's a little bit better. It gives you some of the people who are actually involved with the subreddit, a lot of their own personal stories, but then also a play play by play of what happened. So uh, I think that before we get the Netflix movies and all the narrative features that are going to come out, this would be uh, one of the docs to have on your radar as kind of like a precursor to uh, a refresher to what had happened uh, with this whole debacle before, you know, <laughs> we start getting the Emmy movies and the Oscar bait movies about the event. So uh, it's over on Peacock as a part of the MSNBC uh, slate that they have. So it is very much considered a like, news piece uh to them but I, I thought they had some very interesting editing in there that that keeps your attention maybe a, maybe a little too frantic with the editing uh mm. but nonetheless does a good job of breaking it down for the regular person who doesn't know the ins and outs of stocks so cool check it out all right let's jump over to tv uh there's a new limited series on netflix called the g word with adam conover it's a produced by Higher Ground Productions, which is the Obama's production company, and Barack even makes a cameo right at the beginning of the first episode. I've caught the first two of these. Art, I don't know how many you've had a chance. Uh, for the G word? Yeah. I caught the first one. I saw him having a whole discussion with Obama, and I'm like, I don't need to see the discussion with Obama. <laughs> People are going to think what they think. You saying, I don't want them to think what they think is not going to help them think what they think uh yeah it's kind of the similar thing of what he's done in the past i would say except now i feel like yeah. he's getting less into the style of editing and where he's just like uh hey ray ban and oakley they're from the same brand it's more so now like really getting into uh more of the the explainer context of right politics so not that it's more boring than the other ones he's just trying to make more of a message than he has fun facts in my opinion Right. I think your willingness to go along with this type of infotainment sort of relies on your tolerance for the host of the program. I, I happen to like Adam Conover a lot. I've I've liked him since he was at College Humor. I liked his last show, Adam Ruins Everything. So I, I'm kind of willing to go with his meandering explanations and his sort of like... Um, you know, ham-fisted way, occasionally ham-fisted way where he will tie things together and, you know, you're, 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 he's doing explainers and you're relying on the little, um, footnotes to be like the evidence for you. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's going to necessarily be the case for everybody. If everybody is going to, uh, want to, you know, give themselves over to him. It, it, I've, what do you make of Adam Conover as a host? He's okay. I don't <laughs> like. You would have told me back in the day when he was making the true TV stuff. I thought he had a clever shtick going with him. Mm -hmm. I think it's just outdone its stay, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I not to say that he's gone corporate, but I do find it funny that he's within the system of the system that he's critiquing. And I personally, even if they're making valid points don't really care for that ever, if that makes any sense. I don't want to see yeah. a Disney rep let it breaking down Disney. I don't like seeing, you know, someone who's already working with somebody mm -hmm. uh, to get the most valid thing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you feel different. <laughs> I just I think getting a non-involved <laughs> person is usually yeah. the best way to go about it. But then you don't get the access that someone like Adam's going right. to get. 
I, so I, I'm I just kind of think we should have everything. We should have people at, working outside the system sure. and people working inside the system. And you know, I think Economover Con- does a pretty commendable job of working within the system, but still critiquing the things that allowed it to exist and I, I've been pretty at, at least thus far pretty satisfied with his lack of reverence for the people who are closely involved I guess in this project like the, he's not he's he is willing to not necessarily make his employers seem flattering uh, in his approach it's not all it's also not like a you know knives out approach to it. he's not you know shredding uh, the legacy of the Obamas or anything in this. But so it's it, tamed. I, no, but I think I think that's not the purpose of his show. His show is is just infotainment about the, especially this one, about the workings of government. And for what I appreciate it just as a person who shares a lot of the same values that I think Conover does is that uh, at its best, this is a show that seeks to make the invisible machinations of government visible to the common person. And I, I, I respect that. I think that's a, it's a valuable asset, and it's done in a package that is not as dry as you would ordinarily get this stuff. You know, the, maybe it is a little bit like the kind of stuff you'd show to a middle schooler during a, uh, during a class, but, like, it's still... It's still it, it, it still for, has a function that I find useful in our society. Uh, and I, I just, I do believe in what he, I, I believe in what he's doing and I believe in him as a, uh, as a uncompromised individual in a lot of ways. Like, I just think he, I think he's a respectable guy and I think he's a very much about his message. So I'm kind of with the show, even if it's not necessarily like a great show that I'm going to recommend to everybody. I just, I guess I, I guess I'm glad it, it exists, even though I don't know whether or not it will achieve much, if that makes sense. No, <laughs> I think you put it best. It's, it's best works as a, uh, Thing for middle schoolers. <laughs> uh, let's talk about another Netflix property. Let's get into my next guest needs no, no introduction with David Letterman, which is Letterman's uh, occasional pet project where he mm-hmm. gets to interview interesting people. Do you think, do you find yourself being a regular viewer of the show or do you only tune into the episodes when he talks to people that you're interested in? That because he's on four already. I had no idea this was four yeah. for whatever reason. I thought this was like the second season. Nope, he has gone four. I've seen a couple of the previous ones. I know he did one with Kanye, he did one with Seinfeld, Obama. There was a couple that I, uh, I really enjoyed that I've seen previously. This time around, he you know got really big people with Will Smith, Cardi B, Billie Eilish. Um, and I've realized I don't know how many of these you've caught or how you feel about. Uh, his I think outlook. I've fallen off a little bit, but yeah. Okay. Uh, Letterman's not one of my favorite late night show hosts. I think mm-hmm. he's good at what he does. I don't think he's great at what he does, but he's up there. Like, you cannot deny that. The man did his time. He, as he says, especially in this fourth season, he was always focused on his work. That he had his first kid at 53. So mm-hmm. he's sitting right now as a 70-something-year-old with a 17-year-old. Um, and I find it fascinating when he's able to approach people who are at his level, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of split these interviews for this new uh, slew of them as kind of him being observational or him talking to a peer. I feel yeah. he's observational when he's talking to Billie Eilish. And I think that's the best of the best of that form because he's like mm-hmm. seeing her as a grandchild, you know? And she's able to swear at him. And it's like this back and forth where he's like, oh, my gosh, it's so interesting to know about you. 
I don't like his observational stuff with it when it's with Cardi B, because then it's like Cardi B is not being her true self. You know, like Will Will Smith is swearing left and right. Mm-hmm. Billy's swearing left and right. It feels like Cardi B's like, I'm around white folk. Let me be as nice as I can be. And then he's kind of like, oh, I don't know black culture, but let's go down to the bodega. And it's like, I don't really care for that. Mm-hmm. Um, when he really fires on all cylinders is when he's talking to peers. When he's talking to Will Smith, that's one where they're both people who see themselves at the top of their game and they almost kind of come at each other sometimes. The Will Smith one is really interesting because they make sure that uh, you know that it was filmed before the Oscars. Because right. then a lot of yeah. the lines that you hear in there, uh, you could Feel say, very are different very different post-Oscars. Ooh, yes, sir. Uh, and there's a very funny joke. I don't want to spoil it about a, a reenactment that they do that uh, Dave was able to get one in there towards the end um, in a little line. But it's his one with uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. That's when you have two people who are friends and who understand the same language. In the Will Smith one, as much as their peers, he's trying to describe to him what scratching is on a DJ. Again, it almost falls back to observational. When he's talking mm-hmm. to Julia, these are two people who are super rich, who are having discussions. And if you're a fly on the wall just listening in, I think you will end up learning a lot. You end up seeing them conversing on things that only two people at their stature, only two people who understand themselves like that um, are able to disclose things. And I, I found their conversation very fascinating. But it's mm-hmm. always very interesting to see how he's able to develop his stuff. I mean, how many late night shows leave? And then forced their way back in there. I still feel really bad for what's the name on the Daily Show coming back for the Apple one because that just, you know, everybody Stuart, yeah. wishes that you could have something like this where he was able to retire, not have to do the weekly night thing, and then still come back and do interviews on his own accord. So, yeah. So I think one of Letterman's features that does make him one of the greats is I think he's one of the best conversationalists among the late night hosts. And when I say conversationalist, I mean that I mean that as a different trait than interviewer. I don't think he's necessarily the best interviewer. But when nope. he's able to be like like you were saying, with a peer and kind of just going back and forth, not necessarily like I don't like as much when he's in that curiosity mode because I often find he's curious about things that I already know the answer to. And, yeah. and it's just a little bit like an exercise in talking, whereas the conversationalist stuff, when he's a little more relaxed, he's also able to, because he's of that stature, I think, allow his guests to relax. And they then comes really great stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen the extended interview uh, that he did when he was on Jesus and Marrow's show. And it's one of my favorite like late night interviews ever because they're all just so they're just also kind of un uh you know unbothered and and like free with their their back and forth and it's just that. them shooting the shit in the best way. Uh, and they're all such gift such gifted conversationalists that it just flows and is funny and is great. So you know I, I think that's to me one of the ways in which his show has been a little bit hit or miss in that I'm not necessarily, it, it is, it feels like a show that's about the things he's curious about. And I'm not often curious about the same things as him, but it does achieve this level of interesting conversation mm-hmm. when he's paired with the right person as you, as you mentioned. Exactly. And because he's able to like film in their environment, you end up getting very nice tidbits, which I really appreciated, especially with the Billy one. So uh, for that, yeah, it's no one's going to get access like he does. So that's the best thing that comes out of the show. All right. Let's talk a little bit about an ongoing show on HBO Max. Hacks. 
debuted two more episodes, episodes three and four, that see Ava and Deborah hit the road while Marcus tries to find himself. Art, what did you think of these last two episodes? Uh, I did not see those two episodes. I was busy oh, watching really? uh, one that we're going to see on Peacock, but uh, I'm assuming we talked about it last week. I'm going to be saying the exact same things. Stream hacks. Watch it. It's good. Yeah. Very great show. Very fun show. Uh, they introduced Laurie Metcalf, who is very funny hey! in her brief bits here. So uh, that's something to look forward to. But yeah, I think I think uh, Hacks is doing a really great thing where it's just like it, it's a it's it's a great hangout. You want to kind of be in this atmosphere with these people. I've already just grown so attached to all these characters. It's a great time. Uh, we'll talk about it more as the season develops. Let's talk I about I want to connect one sh- there really quick, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, you said they released two episodes. Yes. Did you know Made for Love is done? Zach, <laughs> what, did it's they just done. throw them all out there? Bro, they were doing two episodes a week. I was like, how does this feel like this was wrapped in half the time? Because they were releasing two episodes a week. I thought that was just a made-for-love thing. If you are now telling me that HBO Max is doing the exact same thing for Hacks, then it seems like anything under the Max umbrella is getting out there immediately. Two episodes a week is crazy. Uh, For the original stuff, uh, I was able to finish uh, Time Traveler's Wife uh, with the screeners that they sent us. But they're barely on two Right. So yeah, if it's I mean, maybe an it's original, it, it's weekly. Max is double. Well, I don't know if it's everything for Max because I think they've done some hour-long dramas that go week to week. But maybe it's if right. it's this half-hour well, comedy. They're doing an hour per week. That's maybe that's their, their goal. Yeah, I don't that's know. Weird, bro. Yeah, it's I mean, like a Rugrats <laughs> episode where the one episode would be two ten-minute ones. Right. I mean, I will say, like, I do think Hacks and Made for Love are a little bit, like, they're not as meaty as some half hours. Or definitely Hacks not as is an Emmy-winning like award show now. It's, Come on. Yes, but it, but it's a fe- it feels slight. And that's one of the things I love about it is that it doesn't feel heavy. The, the plots aren't very, like... Uh, aren't very severe and the the consequences aren't life-threatening. It's like a good ride. So sometimes it's nice to be able to ch- chew two episodes at once rather than yeah. I'm not denying half that. Yeah. an hour a week. I think that's interesting because when we saw the first one of Hacks and then it immediately played, immediately played episode two, I was like, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So as a viewer, I'm not against it. But in terms of a rollout, I mean, if season ones for both of these went weekly, I'm curious the idea yeah. of finishing a series earlier. That does have a it has an effect in in, uh, in the right. production. I mean, uh, I, feel. I think the I think the real thing is like I just miss long seasons, and maybe we don't need twenty episodes. Nah, 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 We don't need the twenty man, seasons. You you don't want more than ten episodes of a year per ha- of hacks? No. You don't want thirteen or fifteen? Thirteen's different though. Thirteen is not twenty. 20. I'm not okay, saying t- not 20. 20. 20 was too much, but 10 not is too 15. little is what my point is. But if you give 13 episodes to a 30-minute series, then the hour series are going to be like, oh, so we're doing 13 again, and I'd rather just stick to the 10. Bro, I think Barry is 8. 8 is not enough. My man, did you see those Stranger na- Stranger Things runtimes? Uh, we got a question about that, actually. Let's go to Yasin's Absolutely question. Absolutely not. Thoughts on the runtimes for the new season of Stranger Things? All the oh, episodes yeah, are between is. an hour and 15 minutes and an hour and 40 minutes. And the season finale is two and a half hours. But somehow, 
This is in the final season. Not only is this not the final season, Yassine, this is in the f- even the final run of season four. They're still doing part two of season four in July. Well, it's nine episodes. We People thought it was going to be like half and half. No, you're getting the first seven this Friday. And then you're getting episodes eight and nine later. That's only something does when they're about to wrap it up. And they're not wrapping it up. Yeah, you're right. There's a whole season five. Um, I, it makes no sense it. to me, bro. I hate it. I am not looking. We'll see. I don't like to pass judgment, but everything (laughs) with the last three. Dude, I'm going to a pop-up, bro. They have a pop-up over here. I don't know if they're going to do it over there. It's a Stranger Worlds pop-up. It's like a free reservation. You go in there and you're like in the world. I'm going to do it just to to get some footage for the video. But like, I don't know, man. (laughs) You would have thought that this would have been the period where they would have switched. Netflix. We're never going to do ads. Now they're going to do ads. Well, then do weekly shows. You were always the binge model. This would have been the perfect series with the length that each episode is to have done a weekly thing. And they're going to dump half of them Uh, Friday. And then I guess the other two, I don't know. Going to be such a chore to get through all these. I mean, I like I've enjoyed Stranger Things in the past. But what what I enjoy about it is the like the like teen adventure aspect of it or the like missing child aspect that they had in the first season. It, it's like the interpersonal aspects of it. And mm-hmm. they just seem so committed to like what happened in the labs, what's going on in the upside down. And I, I just, I just don't care. I don't what have the energy. Can we cultivate? That's another spinoff. <laughs> Yeah, they tried that backdoor pilot and everybody rejected it. So I, I, I don't know. I don't want to spend that much time in that world. Let's talk about a world that maybe we would want to spend a little bit more time in over on Peacock. Uh, Angeline. Uh, this one is a new Peacock series starring Emmy Rossum. Uh, it's a look at the life of the mysterious, mononymous maiden with massive memories, Angeline. Art, her story is pitched as the first socialite before Paris Hilton or Kim Kardashian. But I think the show is trying to do something a little more interesting. I only was able to catch the first half of the first episode. I had some internet issues. But how much have you watched and what do you think of the show so far? We just wrapped it right now, right before we started. We got to see the very final cool. scene. And it is very much, uh, what's that Anna show that was on Netflix where she just duped everybody? Oh, uh, inventing Anna? She the OG. It's no different. (laughs) And just like Anna got paid (laughs) to get a Netflix series made about her, I see no... There's no difference with the Angeline show either. It's a five-episode miniseries that's trying to get into uh, what is her truth. You know, it's a woman who became famous just for being on billboards. And Emmy Rossum, like, was very fascinated by that. She went under the whole transformation, you know, kind of like the the Hulu show where they had what's-her-name becoming Pamela Anderson. She's doing the whole get-up here, right? Shout-out to the prosthetics team, to the makeup team, hair department. They did their thing. Um I'm not a person who dislikes Emmy Rossum. I, I think she's a no. I think she's a good actress. She mm-hmm. is also married to Sam Esmail. Many of you may know him from Mr. Robot. He is producer on this thing. Both of them are producers, if I'm not mistaken, for the miniseries. Um, I just don't really see the point personally. I don't mm-hmm. see what it's trying to say. Kind of like the Inventing Anna show. Uh, Angeline is one that kind of dupes people in order to get the spotlight. And while they think they're dissecting her, I feel like they're just continuing her legacy for her to be able to have a show that she was talked to about she went she was visited by emmy show comes out angeline comes out and goes i don't know about it i'm not gonna watch it but my book comes out this summer (laughs) 
I don't I don't see it. It's a show where as much as it thinks it's giving you the truth, it's like maybe this happened, maybe it didn't. I don't know. I don't know if well, you got to see those episodes of Shorcy that's also doing this thing, no, but I, I realized didn't. a lot of little comedies uh, are trying to do the mockumentary style where they'll stop and then have a discussion with the camera. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I don't remember it that way. And then they're like, go back to the narrative structure. Um, I think it's lazy. I think I don't like it. <sighs> See, you know, it's very I, lame I style. T- I, I took it to be a little bit different than than you in that and again like I've only seen a little bit of it but I took it to be about the kind of like unknowability of these certain things and the unreliableness of sources like even just the way that it starts where it says 1981 or 1982 depending who you ask you know like it, it's I think it's trying to kind of hint at this idea that like maybe maybe there is isn't a true story uh, maybe there's just a lot of different ideas, but I don't know. I, I will watch more and let you know. Watch more because I think that's her purpose. And I don't think yeah. that that's I don't th- I see what you're saying. That would have been a very interesting show if it was indicative of the news and how they get out there. Uh, no, that's more so how she wants to be known. And that's how she made her fame and fortune was by being as mysterious as possible. And it's in her favor for you to not know as much as possible. Yeah. All right. Well. Interesting. Uh, those are the TV shows we've been looking at. Uh, let us know if you have any questions for us. We're going to get into some quick coverage of a couple news topics in yay or nay. Don't have a whole lot to say about this next one, but I did f- uh, find it, it. Oh, actually, I don't have that one up. Uh, well, I'll skip to the second one then. <laughs> uh, Daredevil is getting rebooted for Disney+. Plus. Uh, they're bringing back many of the original uh, actors from the Netflix series, but with some new talent behind the scenes. Art, yay or nay, you are excited for the return of a Daredevil show. Nay. I don't like the team behind it. Uh, You should have just kept the same team. I don't know what this idea is that maybe we'll keep everybody who's in front of the camera and not the people behind the camera. That's who made the show they're not done with their story they still had more to tell um and now they're under the full disney umbrella i still find i still find it insane that they worked with netflix and now netflix doesn't have these shows Mm -hmm. i find that to be so ridiculous and we just have not discussed how that's a thing that's possible (laughs) how netflix just paid for a bunch of seasons to be on disney plus's back catalog that's insane to me. Yeah. You know, this isn't the office that can be taken away and, and goes back to, you know, Universal, back to NBC on Peacock. Nah, this is like Netflix produced this show, did their thing, and then they don't even have the rights to stream it anymore. And then it's going to get taken somewhere else and it's going to be bastardized as they come up with, I don't know what this is going to be. Is it still going to have the TVMA? Is it still going to be following the same storylines? Is it going to be a soft reboot? I am willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, obviously. Um... But Moon Knight really disappointed me, so I'm not looking forward to them not getting this. Even if they keep the same writers, because I know for a lot of people, it's like, okay, they're keeping that aspect of it. Um, They can still tell the writers what to write. Like, we've kind of discussed these boardrooms for Disney, especially when it comes to TV. They don't really have writers. They have, like, the people who put the script together off of the notes that they've given them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to be disappointed, but we'll see. They have writers. They just don't have, like, they don't give the autonomy to the writers in the same way that most TV does. Like, TV is typically a writer's medium. The showrunner of most TV shows is the head writer, but not on the Disney Plus productions. The showrunner on those is a Marvel producer. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't have a lot of hope for the Disney Plus Marvel shows. Like, we've gotten so many at this point, and, like, even the best of them still feel, like, lesser than their movies and twice or three times as long. Um, It's just a lot of commitment to what is now, like, more and more of a deluge of content. Um, I, I know people really, really like Daredevil. I just... I, I don't know. I, I almost think they'd be better off uh, starting anew than like trying to somehow keep this show going while main like fitting it into the existing Disney Plus. No, nah, they have to. I'm the complete opposite. No, you have to. You don't just reboot it. That's so lame. You have people invested in all of these characters and you took all their catalogs. It is your responsibility to try to make them fit in. I'm the complete opposite on that. You have all the money <laughs> in the world, bro. What, but what's better, what you, like a, a reboot that's like a consistent vision or like a half-assed weird season three of Daredevil? Why am I not allowed to have them make a cohesive thing that connects it? I'm a, I get it that they're going to water it down, but I'm as long as it's its own series. options. They shouldn't be the only options. Uh, bro, are you defending the She-Hulk CGI thing too? Are we going to get into that as well? Like, nah, if you're releasing a trailer for your thing, the stuff should be finished. You have all the money in the world. We're releasing these half trailers. And this goes even to one of my favorite franchises. The Mission Mm -hmm. Impossible trailer is not done, but it's out there because it leaked or because they just needed something out there. That's not a trailer. There's no sound effects in the background. It's just images with a score. You can't, I'm not going to give the pass to one of my favorite things. I'm not going to give my, a pass to one of the biggest companies in the world. They have to find a way to connect it. If they took the catalog and it's sitting in their thing, you're just going to have a restarted season one. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's if you care for the properties. If you don't care for the properties, then I don't I, care for the I'm sure it doesn't mean anything else. But if it was something that you were interested in, Zach, I'm right. pretty sure you would not want a reboot. You would want them to continue the story I, that has I been know. set up for three seasons. Like, I get that. I get that. But if it's going to be bad, just reboot it is all I'm saying. If it's going to, like, if you're just going to disappoint people, then just do something different, you know? But there already be disappointing people, so at least attempt it, fail it, and then the reboot. I don't know. Uh, We also going to quickly talk about the con tiktok jury fiasco as the head of the short film uh jury or tiktok short film jury has resigned over uh uh, over his lack of independence and sovereignty over the jury's decisions uh just an interesting twist in this little story of khan trying to embrace tiktokers they've invited a bunch of uh tiktokers to their festival and they're planning on giving out an award but you know there was always the concern that this was going to become just this like over commercialized entrant to this artistic festival and i just feel like this this news confirms that um, Which is a do shame you have the news that he quit? Yeah. Do you have the news that he came back? 
I don't actually. As of yesterday, the oh, man wow. returned and he has decided to be a juror again, even though he said that the integrity of the jury staff was being compromised. He's back. All so right. take with that as you will. Kind of been very interesting this year, you know. I'm not, we're not there, <laughs> but it's yeah. been very interesting to see all of the protests, and I would, I would call them uh, an art exhibition to a certain degree of people who have taken to the red carpet and have uh, found their ways of protesting, you know, through their body. There was just yesterday for I want to say the Spider movie where you know they had this whole uh, banner listing all of the names of of uh, women who have been attacked there in France. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost embarrassing to think that you're one of the biggest artsy festivals in the world. And not just like an art festival, an art festival in France, Zach, you know? And none of this stuff has been sanctioned. This is all like pop-up things that are happening without anybody's consent that is dealing with the actual official uh, festival. And those have been the things that have gotten the most buzz. None of the movies. Um I don't know. You would think that for a big festival that's trying to push a lot of different uh, avenues that a lot of uh, a lot of these things would be embraced. But we also did cover how they don't care (laughs) and they edit journalists when they're doing interviews. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, Khan definitely seems caught between a couple different competing ideas, which is like they are this legacy institution with this history that is also like a very exclusive and ex- and like not inclusive yeah. history and then Screw like them. this idea to to modernize and be you know the the leader in uh you know this next phase of our art whatever it is i don't know uh it definitely feels like they're, they're caught not? between yeah they're they're <laughs> caught between a few different ideas and and not really uh what is it like walking and chewing gum at the same time right now mhm all right, uh, let us get into the new to see where we talk about what's new to theaters, streaming, and VOD. Starting off with May 23rd, Ghost in the Shell, SAC 2045, coming to Netflix. Another in the batch of Netflix anime that they seem to be t- doing a, like, they have a pretty strong foothold in that department. A lot of people tend to like uh, those series, we don't watch a lot of them, uh, but Ghost mm-hmm. in the Shell is a big property. I, I don't know if fans of this are excited for this latest iteration of it, but. Well, it is a season and they have season one and they have season two. And I believe what this one that you're yeah. pointing at in particular is, is season one condensed into a movie. Oh, is it really? A lot of streaming services. Two. It's one of them condensed into a movie. So I find that fascinating that in between the seasons, they're finding a way to condense all 10 hours into like 90 minutes. So I know Jimmy Cameron talked about that, which to a lot of people would have been like director's cuts and such. But uh, this is a new way of doing it, which is just fascinating because are you just telling people that those are the only 90 minutes that matter and the rest is filler? Not exactly sure. But yeah, it's a little buffer <laughs> thing that they're, they're doing before season two. Interesting. Uh, over on May 24th on digital, we're getting Human Factors, a movie that we both liked out of last year's Sundance. Uh, I think it was already in theaters. We've talked about it a couple times on this show, but now it's available on digital. Uh, the next big Disney Plus Star Wars release is the Obi-Wan Kenobi event series. They're calling it an event series because I guess limited and mini and all those other terms are, are a little bit too played out for Disney at this point. Uh, of course, we're getting the return of Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen as well as some new 
entrance to uh, Star Wars. There have been a few different attempts to revitalize or, or you know, make anew uh, some Star Wars content. Where is your excitement level for uh, this Obi-Wan show? I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually kind of excited. It's all nostalgia, though. I know this. I don't know if I have any faith in the production, but uh, they're bringing the boys back. They're going to do it anyway, so this is at least out of all the ones that they've done, I care more for this than, mo- than people in helmets. I'm going to tell yeah. you that much. <laughs> That's a good point, and I would say, I would agree that like maybe I am incrementally more excited for this one because there's actually actors with faces whose emotions I can look at, and they're not hidden under you know all sorts of weird cgi de-aging de-aging tampering weirdness um and i'm not so, saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying i have more of a connection with these people who had a I'll trilogy a when thing. i was growing up it's I'll not a bad it's thing, a bad zach. thing. <laughs> that's not a bad <laughs> thing zach i i just don't really see the value in in a lot of that those exercises i i find it to be a little bit like well this one could uh, be terrible too bro yeah (laughs) there's really no reason to have this show i just like the actors in it and i'm glad that uh young anakin's coming back yeah did you you hate hate him back in the day no i was completely indifferent i don't i don't care about star wars at all i never have um I, i i'll watch this if some people say it's good but i'm i'm anticipating it's going to be the same kind of like divisive reaction. And I don't know, man. Uh, it, it seems like they're not hyping this one up nearly as much as they have ones in the past, which concerns me I think me they've too. been keeping it a secret. I don't think this needs marketing. It's Obi-Wan. Maybe, maybe. We, we will see in a couple of days. Uh, competing with Disney Plus, Netflix is unleashing somebody feed Phil. And it's going to be hard to choose between the Obi-Wan show and Somebody Feed Phil season five. But, you know, there's enough hours in the day you can hopefully do both. <laughs> on Hulu on May 26th, look at me, the Tentacion documentary that you caught way back at South by Southwest. I think you appreciated this one. Very good documentary. Um, they just announced that they were going to be releasing a single to coincide with the movie it is uh, obviously x had a bunch of different uh just really tracks lines whatever if you listen to the donda album donda 2 is officially actually coming out now is what was announced today and this weekend to coincide with the movie he's going to be releasing the song that he had with xxx Tentacion. um I, I forget the name the name of the song something to do with love um I've heard the rough patch of Donda. I guess he's now actually cleaning it up. He's not mumbling on the tracks anymore. This will be the lead single to it coming out this weekend, along with an actual album to coincide with the uh, documentary. So there will be a Look At Me album uh, that will also include that. So they're sharing the songs. So uh, it'll be, I I think it'll be a pretty big release. I know that a lot of music fans will be looking out for that one. Interesting. Uh, This weekend, May 27th, we are getting the Bob's Burgers movie. Two thumbs up. Art, Two you thumbs spent, up. You spent some time diving into the Bob's Burgers archives to prepare yes, for sir. this one. It's, uh-huh. it's we, one of my feel-good shows, a really just sweet like diversion that's uncomplicated and happy for me. So I'm really excited. What have you thought about your Bob's Burgers dive so far? 
Hey, Bob's Burgers is that show that uh, I believe is definitely iconic because even before, even if you haven't seen the show, you know about the show. You know the little girl that's always in the memes. You know, you know that one who's always like awkward dancing, the one with the hat. Like, like they have just become very prolific online and just in general with the images uh, that they've been able to create. Jeff Famous. The show. I'm on season four. Uh, I've just been playing it. So there were a couple episodes where Zach's like, mm-hmm. but did you pay attention to this one? So I went back. He was telling me about this one where he becomes a taxi driver. There's there's a lot of really good stuff in the beginning seasons that are just mm-hmm. hilarious. I think the editing, the animation, the pacing, the voice acting, all of it hits on all the cylinders and the movie lives up to the hype. If you have been a fan of this show and you've been watching it for the past 12 seasons, this is... Uh, it feels bad to say the phrase glorified episode, but it feels like the best of the best yes. when watching yes. uh, the these um, with, w- in watching the series uh, and to extend it. What is really like, what, 15 minutes long into a 90 minute uh, epic that is able to embody the entire town that is able to embody the family. All of your favorite characters are in it, uh, which is why I feel you only need to see the first season. I don't think mm-hmm. you need to see any of it to go in and yeah. kind of get the gist of the show. But if you see the first season, you'll be introduced to a lot of these characters and you'll know what they represent up on screen um, right. with their history. I still think, um, why am I blinking on his name? The one who always comes in to get burgers. Teddy? Go. I don't want to hear yeah. it. I don't care who your favorite character is. That's the best character. Teddy's the Teddy's best character the best. without Teddy's a doubt. The best. Um, but the movie's great, man. I was I was into it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. They have a couple of musical sequences. Uh, the animation is beautiful too, because I mean, you know how much the show's budget is going to get you. But with a movie, it's way more fluid, and they got the characters mm-hmm. dancing with it. I'm excited to see it again, dude. Can't yeah, wait to hear your I, thoughts about it. I really loved this movie, and I was so excited oh, watching it. it. I did catch it. Yeah, I, I'm. And Bro. I and Were like you sweaty not- at the end. I don't know why. <laughs> I thought. <laughs> Well, it, it's really sweet. Like, I think it actually ends in a place that was, like, emotional and a little, you know, unexpectedly beautiful, especially considering that the show has been on for so long that they still have something in their bag that can tug at your heartstrings as much as I think this movie does. It is really incredible. You know, they I don't know if they've just been saving some material for this movie or they figured it out. I, I think this movie is actually, like, significantly better than the show has been in the last couple of years also. It's, like... It's some of the best of what you get from Bob's because Bob's is this show that is really like, it's very quirky and weird. A lot of the characters have these off-putting qualities to them, but there's, it's so sweet in how it handles and accepts everybody. There's just like a, like a, like an empathy and embracing of all these weird, weird characters. It, It like... Rather than make fun of characters for what makes them different, I think it's a show that celebrates those aspects to them, and it it kind of it it coalesces into something that's a little bit bigger than just that because. In the musical numbers, which they do a lot of in the in the show, but I think the ones they do in the movie are really great. Something that I love good. is that no one's really like a excellent singer. You know, they all are a little pitchy and a little like quirky, offbeat. Um, There's someone who sings in the, the movie who is terrible. I did <laughs> not get what that person that. was saying. But they lean into that in a way. And like even you mentioned the fluidity of the animation. They're dancing to different sequences in this movie. But like none of the people are really like good dancers in in the movie. You know what I mean? They're kind of clumsy in their movements. They're a little silly looking. And I think that's one of the things that makes the show so special is that it is this like kind of slack 
comedy, you know, even if it is animation, like there's an imprecision to all these people that makes them all so much more lovable. I think uh, the way that it succeeded, not only in telling a story that's going to be like, has full so many fun little details for people who already know the characters, but I think is just like easy to get in and would make for an easy entry point for people who don't watch the show. I, mm-hmm. I just think it's a really great balancing act. It's very fun, full of jokes. I, I it, it's great. I'm I'm hoping this is an Oscar contender later this year. Wow. Yeah. I just want to see that food truck people keep talking about come to my area because I'd love to have a Bob's Burger burger. So yeah, Lashawn mentioned that uh, food truck in the uh, live stream comments. Cademan mentions that there is a short film that they made exclusively playing at the Alamo Draft House. I actually didn't hear about that, so I might have to uh, go for a second Check round of Bob's Burgers at the Alamo Draft House. Yeah. Uh, Devesh asked also, how does it compare to something like the Simpsons movie? I, I liked the Simpsons movie. I think the Same. Simpsons movie uh, does something, though, that it, it almost like blows up the Simpsons formula into something that's so big that it only could be in a movie. Whereas, like you were saying about the Bob's Burgers movie, you this know? feels like a glorified episode. This feels like Bob's Burgers. It doesn't feel like, okay, now we're doing a movie, so something it has different. to be a little extra and different. Literally, we came out and we were saying stuff. We're like, was that from an episode or was that from the movie? So, like, that that's, yeah. I think with the Simpsons movie, you know what came out of that. Uh, and you wouldn't mistake it for, for a season. But, yeah, I hope people get to watch this one uh, in theaters and they enjoy it. Yeah, I'm really hoping this one does well. Uh, also in theaters this weekend from Neon, Achiara. I think this was one that a lot of people were talking as a potential uh, foreign film contender. I don't know if it was uh, a finalist, but I've heard lots of good things about it. So curious to check uh, check in Caught on it, it at now Chicago. that it's going to be more available. Oh, you actually saw it? It's good? It's good. It's supposed cool. to be like part of a trilogy. I don't know if that's a connected tri- trilogy as much as it is a kind of like, you know, thematically uh, you know taking place in italy but i thought it was pretty good decent performance from the lead um it pretty much follows her not realizing that she may be involved in her family may be involved in the mafia and she feels like do i need to be a part of that or should i be something separate it's decent cool uh also available this weekend finally dinner in america finally amanda the jedi's long beloved film from the 2020 sundance film festival she's mentioned it on like four different best of lists, but we've done at this point. Uh, glad that it's finally hitting theaters. Yeah. It's finally hitting theaters. I think it's going to be on VOD next week. So you can finally catch up with this film. If you've been hoping to uh, another movie that we've talked about from Sundance from this year's Sundance is going to be available on Amazon prime video on Friday. Nope. It's emergency. The, uh, comedy of errors and social comedy thriller of sorts. Uh, I thought this was a really fun movie. I'm really excited to revisit it. So, yeah, and hopefully now that it's streaming, more people are going to check it out. I'm very curious to hear some more reactions to Emergency. And it just had its theatrical release the week prior, so it could be eligible for some more awards as well. Mm-hmm. Don't normally point out too many of these like film screenings things, but I wanted to point out that Film at Lincoln Center is doing Human Conditions, a a, a collection of films from Mike Lee. Mike Lee is a filmmaker that we like a lot on this podcast. Uh, We've talked about uh, a few of his films in the past. They're not playing. um, What was the, what was the one where he's the delivery driver that you mentioned before? Who? He's a delivery driver. 
The the one where he's like the driver for an Amazon like company. Uh, sorry, we missed you. Yeah, sorry, we missed you. Uh, they're not doing sorry, we missed you, and they're not doing. Uh, what's the other one? I Daniel Blake, but there's there's so many good films uh, being played at the center here that I just wanted to point out. And somebody should give Mike Lee some money to make a new movie because he keeps talking about home, but nobody's giving him money to Nobody make movies gives him anymore. Money. Yeah, are you going to any of those screens? I kind of wanted to do Topsy Turvy. I've been meaning to see it for a while. Nice. Uh, Stranger Things, as we also, mentioned, comes uh, back. He didn't do. Sorry, we missed you. That'd be Ken Loach. Oh, it's Ken Loach. Am I mixing up Ken yeah. Loach and Mike Lee? My bad. Yeah, that's why they don't have... Sorry we missed you there, Zach. <laughs> that's my bad. Uh, Stranger Things is back on Friday, May 27th for part one of season four. Uh, we've already talked about that a bit. Don't be too excited, but, bro. Man, it's just a lot of content and there's so much other stuff out there. I know. Here, let me bring it up a little bit higher for you right now since uh, right before you get into what would be our probably pick of this week... Uh, Enoki in the chat says that RRR is coming back. It is on Netflix, but say you wanted to see it right. in its original language. Say it's too big for your screen at home. Zach, they're bringing it back. Do you know what it's called? One night only. Do you know what it's called? Well, what are they calling it? Encore. <laughs> Come on, man. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Uh, they haven't added any theaters in the state of New Jersey yet. That's the only thing uh, I don't love about it. But I guess I'll have to take a trip to the city for that one. But you will be making a trip to wherever you need to go see this movie in IMAX, Zach. Top With Gun screenings Maverick. this Tuesday. For those of you yes. who want to see it early, this Tuesday, they got IMAX screenings. So for you to see it early. I've seen it in Dolby. It's tomorrow. Man, what'd you think? Have you what'd, you think? what'd you think? Have you caught it? No, man. It's good. <laughs> That's fine. Oh. Undersell me. I, I don't need my expectations any no, higher. It's I'm, good. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Is it Mission Impossible? I don't know about that, but it's, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. Cool. I hope you enjoy it. I just, I just need to see it on a gigantic screen in a room with speakers that will like shake, make the room shake. That's all I really I, want. Yeah. I know I'm a broken record when it comes to IMAX, but this was like actually shot for it, you know? So it's yeah, like, yeah. you got to eat ice cream with a spoon. You, you got to watch this the way it was intended to be. IMAX. Yeah. Do, do yourself a favor. Uh, another interesting film out this weekend, We Feed People. I actually quite liked this documentary uh, from South by Southwest that follows Chef Jose Andres. Uh, this one's directed by Ron Howard as well. Just a pretty interesting look at a guy behind a pretty awesome charity. And I like that, mm -hmm. you know, it's not necessarily like a... a like an uncomplicated look at his life. Like it's not, not afraid to put, throw in some less than flattering coverage of him too. But it, I think it's all sort of in, uh, in service of telling the bigger story of what he's trying to do. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, and then looking a little bit ahead, uh, it was just announced, I think earlier today that fantastic beast, the secrets of Dumbledore is going to be on HBO max on May 3rd. 30th. They are doing that quick turnaround again uh, and getting the mov a movie that did not do so great at the box office right onto their streaming service. So yeah, uh, if you sat this one out in theaters, it's going to be available at home very soon. Wow. Not that that really is going to uh, change Sheesh. my perspective I mean, at all. I haven't seen any of the Fantastic Beasts films. 
you're not missing out on anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they flipped Batman the fast. Uh, speaking of, there is a lot of stuff that is now, that was in theaters that is now available at home. I got a couple of old picks and then leading up to some of the newer stuff, uh, on prime. If you have that, the Candyman movie that came out, um, was it last year is finally out. I know not a lot of people may have gone to the theaters to go see it or may have, you know, different, differing opinions on it. It's out available on streaming and I'm curious to see if more people are able to catch it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty decent horror movie from the last year. One of my favorites. So want to put that on people's radar. Um, also on prime, I know it's something that you really enjoyed beyond the infinite two minutes. Zach is on Amazon prime oh, video. Whoa. Perfect. I don't know timing. if you had that on your radar. So, uh, I was really excited for that movie. I know Zach ended up liking it a lot more than I did. So with it being on Prime, do yourself a favor, catch that one. Uh, I would also recommend over uh, in theaters, like I was saying, this Tuesday, they're going to be doing advanced screenings in IMAX. The only way that you should be watching this movie for Top Gun. So definitely check that out. Uh, And then for HBO, The Carlin Doc, two-part little series looking back at one of the greatest comedians of all time. Absolutely. Uh, I would echo that recommendation of George Carlin's American Dream. I think it's an excellent look at, like, maybe the best stand-up ever. Um, and, and, yeah, uh, if you are not going to do that, I would also recommend Emergency over on Prime Video that we mentioned. But now that I know that Between the Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes is also on Prime Video, I'm definitely recommending that. I actually think I'm recording a podcast about that movie this week, so it's good timing. Um, but if, you're, if you want to go to theaters... And you've already got your ticket to Top Gun, so that's not really like a negotiable thing. You're just looking for something else. Maybe you need a double feature. Bob's Burgers is delightful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's a great time for one and all, young and old. I, I Man, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I'm excited to be able to rewatch that at home at some point. It's going to be a nice bit of comfort. Uh, but I think that's about all for this edition of the weekend must watch. We'll be back in a little bit to do our after credits breakdown of men. We also wanted to do a breakdown of season three of Atlanta. I think we're going to do that later in the week. I don't know if uh, we actually skipped over talking about the finale episode of season three. I don't know if you had any quick thoughts on Terare. I'll, I'll save it for the after credits, but I liked it. It was yeah. a good wrap-up. It was a good wrap-up yeah. to the season. I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, it's sort of... I feel like I've been waiting for an episode like that, so I'm glad we got it. I've been waiting for an episode with her. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, let's see. That's all for this week's show. Follow me, Zach Shevich, on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E-V as in Variety, I-C-H. And check out my YouTube channel or TikTok at Multiplex Show. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me over at Elmi Explained on Twitter, Letterboxd, YouTube, and every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio feed, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can watch our bright smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment by new episodes of the Intercut Weekly Must Watch, streaming on our YouTube channel every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested 5 star review uh like our facebook instagram and twitter pages all of them are at intercut pod as well as our patreon where you can support the show for as little as one dollar a month and get uh, access to early episode outlines our private discord channels and our monthly google meetings 
Follow us on our socials, though, to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all the guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, the biggest risk is not taking a risk at all. Chip and Dale, full of little bits of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs>